0: From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lachs. Numbers 13, Shalak. Do not follow your heart. In this week's portion of the Torah, Hashem commanded Moshe to send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Before the people were to establish their homeland there, Moshe told them, And you will see the land. The report they brought back misled the people into rebelling, inciting Hashem to hide his presence and causing them to wander in the wilderness for forty years. The portion ends with Hashem giving us the mitzvah of sitsits. These are the fringes that men wear on four-cornered garments. The Torah tells us to wear tzitzitz, saying, and you will see them, to remember all of the commandments. The seeing of the tzitzitz comes to rectify the former seeing of the spies. When Hashem gave us the mitzvah of tzitzitz, He warned us not to follow our heart and eyes. He said that they would lead us astray. But in the prayers for the remembrance of Sitsits, we are told to love God with all of our heart. In one place we are commanded not to follow our heart, and in the other place we are commanded to love with all our heart. Which is it? Are we to follow our heart or not? If we cannot trust our heart, what then can we trust? How are we to guide our lives? We all know that we have loved things at one time, and then later have fallen out of love with them. So from our own experience, we see that the heart cannot be trusted. We see that emotional decisions can very easily be faulty. But so what? Are we really being told not to do what we love? Decisions must be made with the intellect. There is no other logical possibility. The intellect is higher than the heart, and it would be foolish to be guided by a lesser faculty. But the intellect is so cold and calculating. What kind of life would we have without the heart? In the end, we must say that the intellect has to decide. The mind must rule the heart. There is no other intelligent choice. But the mind does not do this by cutting off the heart, but by bringing understanding to the heart. In this way, the mind guides the heart by showing it what is good for itself. The heart wants to be loving at all times, so the intellect must show the heart how its decision will bring more love than a decision based on love alone. However, it's essential that the warmth of the heart be brought into the intellect to affect its decisions. If not, then no matter how great the understanding, the decisions and their implementations will be cold, isolated from the warmth of the heart. One of the requirements a man must fulfill in order to be appointed as a judge for capital cases is that he must have children. When we have children, we see how frail and in need of mercy people really are. A man without children is suspected of being cruel. Our decisions must include love and not rely entirely on the intellect. Mercy is of the heart, while justice is of the mind. We must use both to lead a good and balanced life. We are told that when God created the universe, he first did so with justice, or truth. But he saw that the creation could not stand up to such a strict standard, so he created mercy. He brought mercy into the world to decrease strict truth so that there could be peace. Peace is the goal, not truth. But mercy without intellect is also not good. We cannot have unlimited compassion for all things. Evil must be stopped. So then, how do we guide our lives? The intellect guides the heart by giving it the proper information, and then the heart warms the intellect by giving it the love to allow for mercy. This allows for both the heart and the intellect to fulfill their potential. Very, very. After the spies gave their terribly damaging report to the children of Israel, Caleb and Yahushua strongly objected to their words. They tried to encourage the people, telling them that indeed the land of Israel is very, very good. This doubling of the word "very" is highly unusual in the Torah. In fact, in the entire Torah, we find the word "very" emphasized this way only six times. One, the flood waters that destroyed the world were very, very strong. Two, Hashem promised to increase Avraham exceedingly. Three, Hashem said that He would make Avraham exceedingly fruitful. Four, after Hashem promised His blessings to Yitzchak, He told Abraham that He would also bless Ishmael greatly. Five, Yaakov's wealth increased very, very much. Six. When the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, they multiplied and became very, very strong. These are all of the very, very great things in the entire Torah. They're either great in severity, number, or goodness, as seen from the subject matter of each phrase. The flood that destroyed the evil generation, Abram's offspring, Yitzchak's offspring, Ishmael's offspring will be greatly increased because of Abram's prayers, Yaakov's wealth, the children of Israel when oppressed, the goodness of the land of Israel. Many of us can easily agree that the flood waters were very, very strong, that Abram's offspring have been multiplied very, very much, that Yaakov's wealth is very, very great, that Ishmael is great great number, and that the Jewish people keep growing. Yet we cannot see how very, very good is this land. What is so special about this land? First and foremost, this is the land that God gave to us. Of all the lands in the world, this is the one that he wants us to live on. He swore to give this land to our forefathers, so certainly it must fit us perfectly well. This land is called the land of the prophets. It's not called this because the prophets came from here, but rather because the land actually made them into prophets. Some sources say just to be in the land satisfies a biblical commandment. Others say that we gain merit by simply walking four steps in this land. We are told that this is the land that God watches over, and that when a Jew acquires a home in this land, he takes a shortcut to the world to come. One source goes so far as to say that the commandments were given only to be performed in this land. This means that the commandments are kept outside the land merely as a memorial, as a remembrance of them, so that when the redemption comes, we'll know how to perform them. But, perhaps most telling of all, when Hashem wanted to promise some great reward for doing His commandments, He said that we should do them so that our lives and the lives of our children would be prolonged in this land. Watch your mouth. This week we also learn a very important lesson regarding speech. The sages warn, watch what comes out of your mouth. This cautions us not to say things that we do not mean. Words are things, and as such, they cause things to come about. Hasidic thinking is even subtler than this teaching. It says, think good and will be good. It's not just the words that cause things to happen, but even our thoughts. This week we read that Hashem punished the children of Israel grievously. They said, Better if we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only died in the wilderness. Hashem responded, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. I shall do as you have spoken in my ears. In this wilderness shall your carcasses drop. Hashem told them He was going to give them back exactly as they said. They said that they will die in the wilderness. Their words became the reality. Think good and it will be good. And certainly say good things so that the good you think will become good in the world. There is one.com